Leaders are readers. After interviewing over 300 experts on my podcast, I've compiled the top 30 books written by Mindset Advantage guests. You can download the list and listen to the episodes where I interview the authors at djhillier.com slash 30 books. You can also head over to my Instagram bio to download the free ebook right now. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Mindset Advantage podcast, a show dedicated to insightful conversations in a world full of sound bites. Hosted by fitness coach, performance optimization coach, and national speaker, DJ Hilliard. These podcasts are designed to help you attack the gap from where you are now to where you want to be. The episodes take a deep dive into leadership, mindset, and fitness. Follow the show on Instagram at Mindset Advantage Podcast and subscribe to his newsletter at djhillier.com. So let's get to it. Hey, everybody, welcome back. This is DJ Hillier, and you are listening to episode 320 of the Mindset Advantage Podcast. And boy, do I have a major league guest for you today. Today, I get the privilege to talk to Sean Casey. Sean spent 12 years in the major leagues where he was a career 300 hitter, three-time all-star, and was the most likable guy on any team that he played on. After a stellar professional career in the major leagues, Sean stepped into coaching where he worked as the New York Yankees hitting coach. Today, Sean is an analyst on the MLB Network, host of the Mayor's Office podcast, and he travels the country speaking and working with teams on elite mental performance. Sean's got energy that is absolutely contagious. I mentioned on the show that I was going to try to do it seated uh, as I do all my episodes, all my uh, podcasts, but man, he wanted me, he got me just feeling like I wanted to jump out of the seat that I was in. He brings so much juice, so much energy. It's super contagious. Some of the topics we got into were first, I wanted to know, what does it mean to be curious as an athlete? You guys listening to the show, you know, I talk a lot about the power of curiosity and how much I just believe that it is a superpower. So I wanted to ask Sean, uh, what does it mean for a guy like you to play in the major leagues as long as you did? When was the time that you were curious? What does the word curious mean to you? After that, we broke down confidence where Sean sees confidence comes from as a, as a baseball player. Confidence uh, can uh, really go up and down. You have uh, peaks and valleys because more often than not, actually, yes, more often you're going to be striking out and you're going to be hitting pop-ups because if you're a 300 hitter like Sean was, which is one of the best uh, hitters of all time, you're going to be striking out seven out of 10 times at the plate and confidence can really drown if you're not aware of it and you don't know how to get it back up. So I really want to know from a baseball player, where does confidence come from? After that, we talked about we talked about what it means to be a five-tool, mentally tough athlete. We talked about how to keep the game simple with his three keys. We talked about the importance of having a great relationship with failure. And then at the end, we broke down some mental strategies outside of baseball. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave a rating, review, and share it on your social medias. I would love to see what you guys pull out of this episode. Also, remember that if you uh, are wanting to watch the episodes, head over to YouTube. We are now on YouTube. You can go to the search bar and type in DJ Hillier or the Mindset Advantage, and you can watch the episode at your house at the conveniency on your couch. Hope you enjoyed this episode with Sean. He's a great guy, super likable, and brings a lot of energy. And I hope that something uh, resonates with you and that you can bring that same energy into your work week.
All right, without further ado, let's get to this episode with the mayor, Sean Casey. The Mindset Advantage podcast is brought to you by Element. Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means lots of salt with no sugar. Element is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited for folks following a keto, low-carb, or paleo diet. Element contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio of 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium, with none of the junk. No sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no BS. Healthy hydration isn't just about drinking water. It's about water plus electrolytes. And it makes sense. You lose both water and sodium when you sweat. So both need to be replaced to prevent things like muscle cramps, headaches, and energy dips. Rob Wolf, founder of Element, is also a biochemist, New York Times bestseller, and previous guest on this podcast, and is someone I trust dearly. Element is currently being used by the highest performers all over the world, including athletes in the NFL, NBA, NHL, Special Forces, and the Olympics. There are several flavors to choose from. My favorite is the citrus salt, which is how I start every single day. And as listeners of the Mindset Advantage podcast, you can receive a free sample pack by using the link www.drinkelement.com slash mindset advantage. Again, that's www.drinklmnt.com slash mindset advantage. Go get yours now. Sean Casey, welcome to the Mindset Advantage podcast. I do all my shows sitting down. Today, I might have the most trouble staying seated because <laughs> I know you bring the juice and you fire it up like nobody else, man. So, hey, welcome to the show. I'm really excited for the conversation today. DJ, that's funny, dude, because I, I, was, I used to do my podcast sitting down. And I'm like, I got to stand. I got to stand. You know what I mean? So I, I, I understand, uh, you know, when that juices get flowing, sometimes for me, it's tough for me to sit down, too. Awesome, man. I'm excited for the conversation today. We have some mutual friends in the mental performance space. It was great for us to finally connect. Uh, Sean, I want to first start with the the title of the show is The Mindset Advantage. And the byline of the show is Stay Curious. I have a sign back here that says Stay Curious. All my shirts and all my gear have the words Stay Curious on it because I believe that curiosity is the superpower when it comes to being mentally tough. And I like to say the quote of uh, be cu- be curious, not furious. I want to start with you, Sean. When was a time in your life where you had to get a little curious? You had to ask some questions of yourself rather than get furious. Do you have a time, whether it was playing ball or growing up, that that you had to be a little curious? Wow. I mean, I think that's great, DJ. Stay curious because I think that's great for us. I mean, I think curiosity is a superpower for us. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, even, 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 you know, on a side note, I think the curiosity, I really believe you get to the mind through the body. You know, I'm always curious of how I feel. I'm always curious where my anxiety levels are. I'm always curious why I'm jacked up. What did I do the day before? I'm always curious of why my energy is so high. You know, what's my process to uh, how well did I eat, sleep, move, and breathe? You know, what? Wh- I, why do I feel so good today? What are the things that I've done? I'm curious when my body gets to a place where my mind is in a good place or in a place where, man, I'm a little uneasy. I'm always curious how it got there. So, that's a that that was a big one for me and and uh, you know I, I look back even just in my life man I, I you know uh, going all the way back to um uh to when I was when I was getting ready to go to college and and I had really no college scholarship offers 
I remember going home to my dad and I was curious why nobody was calling. You know, I was curious why nobody was uh, coming out to see me play or I was curious why I was getting cut from these uh, tryouts with some of these pro teams after we ran the 60 yard dash. Like I didn't really have a ton of answers. And I remember my dad, I, you know, I, I, I remember my dad when I was coming home one day, I was like, dad, you know, I've done all the work that you've asked me to do. I've hit every day after school. I've become a better player. You know, I'm curious why nobody, you know, you said preparation meets opportunity at some point. I'm curious why there hasn't been an opportunity. I'm curious why nobody's been coming out, you know, and, and, and my dad said something to me that was so powerful. He's like, you know what, Sean? He's like, really get curious on this. Get curious that no one is coming for you, buddy. And that if you don't play offense on your life and you play defense, nobody is going to be there. And it is, it is great that you're asking the questions like, what do I need to do to get people to come see me? And my dad was like, you know what you need to do? And my dad had just opened up a, a, a company at the time called Casey Chemicals. And so he was like always network marketing. Like every month I'd come home from school, Deej, and I'd be licking envelopes, like sending out these. And I'm like, dad, why are you sending out thousands of envelopes and brochures? Like, this is insanity. He's like, if I can get one or two or three people to respond and that's a sale, then we eat next month. You know, it was that mentality. And so it was the same mentality with me. He was like, listen, if you want to know why people aren't coming for you, you need to start playing offense. He's like, why tomorrow when you get home from school, why don't you write 30 letters to schools that you want to go to? You know, and he's like, quit waiting for people to come to you because nobody cares about you as much as you think. Right. And, and I know you're putting in the work, but obviously that's not working. So let's, let's go to another level. So I came home one day after school, sat down at my dad's desk. Bam. I start writing deeds. Dear Clemson. My name's Sean Casey. You know, I, I know I can play there. Dear Penn State, my name's Sean Casey. I, you know, I'm a hard worker. I know I can play there. Dear Marietta, dear John Carroll, dear College of Worcester, dear Moorhead State, all these places that were like D1, 2, and 3. Coaches I might have seen at tryouts or Keystone State games or whatever. So I get up after it takes me a couple hours, write these letters, handwritten letters to these colleges, and I stand up to walk out. My dad says, hey, wait one more second. Write one more letter. University of Richmond sent you a brochure the year before at the Keystone State Games, a flyer. Why don't you send them a letter too? I'm like, all right, 31 letters. So the 31st letter goes out to University of Richmond. Senior year starts, having a great year. I'm, you know, one of the better players in the league. And, you know, I think, you know, for whatever reason, I, I wasn't the greatest of runners. And I think sometimes people go, oh, this guy doesn't run well. He doesn't do this well. You know, you always hear about what you don't do well, but I knew I could hit. And I knew I showed up to hit every day. I knew I worked hard every day. I knew I was accountable to that. I knew I had discipline. You know, I knew I had all the things that I, that I needed to do. And so sure enough, there's four games to go in my, in my high school career. Not one college has come out from those 31 letters. I'm like, man, my, this, this preparation meeting opportunity stuff is total crap. You know what I mean? This, doesn't work. this stuff doesn't work. You know what I mean? So I go out and never forget we're playing this team named Montour, a team here in local, locally in Pittsburgh. First at bat, bases loaded, comes up. I get a pitch middle away. Wham, rocket. I'm a left-handed hitter, so rocket left center gap. All three runs score. Next at bat, I come up. Another double in the gap. So at the you know, in, going into the seventh inning, my coach, Jerry Malarkey, comes out to me as I'm running out the first base. He's like, Case, he's like, man, you've had a heck of a game, dude. How many hits you got? I got like, four hits, Jerry. How many doubles? Four doubles, eight RBIs. So, that's incredible. And he starts to turn. He's like, you see that guy behind the backstop right there? 
And I, and I turned with him. I said, yeah, yeah, who's that? He's like, that's the University of Richmond coach. He drove six hours up here on account of the letter you sent him two months ago. I said, wow, that's incredible. So after the game, I went over and introduced myself. Guy's name was Mark McQueen, still a good friend of mine. He was the pitching coach at the time, recruiting coordinator. He's like, hey, uh, really like your swing, man. He goes, we don't have a ton of money, but we'd like to offer you a $1,000 scholarship, which at the time, my dad was making 33 grand a year as a chemical salesman. I think Richmond was like 30 grand a year. And I was like, how are we going to pay for this? But my dad was like, you know, talk about getting curious. He's like, we'll figure it out. You know, he's like, I'll have to look into what we got to do. The second mortgage on the house, financial aid, but you got to go. It was my only offer. So you talk about getting curious. I was curious at that time. Why was nobody coming out to see me play when I felt like I was putting in the work and I was out there doing what I needed to do. But at the end of the day, you got to figure out, you know, you got to pivot at sometimes. So sending no letters out for me and playing defense and waiting for these scouts to come see me, that wasn't working. And the fact that I got curious is probably the reason we're talking today. Oh, man. I love it. You're firing me up already. I can't believe I'm still sitting. You know, I, I talk I talk to a lot of uh, athletes, mostly in the high school arena. And, you know, I love what you said about offense versus defense. One thing I'm finding, Sean, is that there's a gap between some of these student athletes thinking that they're working hard and the, what really hard work really looks like. There's a little bit of a gap there. And some people might say, you know, oh, it's a generation thing. They don't know how to work hard, et cetera, et cetera. But for you, it was, it was kind of similar. You thought you were working hard. You were working hard, but you were missing something, right? You were missing a little bit of something on, on reaching out and getting out there and putting yourself out there. For me as a podcast host of five years, not one time has somebody came up to me and said, hey, man, can I be on your show? Every time. <laughs> I'm reaching out to people because They're I believe good. that in order to have a chance, you got to take a chance. In order to have right. a chance, you got to take a chance. Talk to me a little bit about the hard work that goes in it. Because so, some kids, hey, I think I'm working hard. But it's like, really? Are you? What is your response to that? Well, well, you know, I think hard work's about consistency. Hard work's about discipline. Hard work's about showing up and hard work's about on purpose repetition. Like you got to start hard work is something that you, you got to create habits to start putting in the work. You got to, you got to put aside time to, to, to do the work. And I think the biggest question is get honest with yourself. Are you really working hard? Are you showing up every day? Do you have a game plan for your work? Is your, is your, do you have, I called, uh, you know, in my, in my coaching program called breakthrough pro, I talk about the five tools really of like, of, of like really work. Right. If I think about it. So the first tool T is truthfulness. Are you honest with yourself? Are, you know, are you really putting in, are you really putting in the work? Do you have awareness that you need to go to another level? And then the O is on purpose repetition. When you work hard, do you have a game plan? Cause if I got in the batting cages, DJ, and I was like, I'm working hard today, bro. 150, 200 swings off the tee. And I just got in there and pulled 200 balls to the right side. I'm probably a worse player than I am if, 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 than, than if I had a game plan. Now, for me, in my routine, it was I'm going to, I really want to work the bat path and I want to work my hands and where the, where, in relationship where the ball is. I know I started to learn if I could go to that left center corner on a long cage, that that was like, the, the bat path that worked in the game to keep the bat in for, to hit all pitches, curveballs, sliders, change up, fastballs. So I would go in the cage for those 150, 200 swings and hit every ball I could in that left center corner. Now that's on purpose repetition. I'm actually getting better with the work. I'm just not here, right? The other O in the tools for, for, um, in my program is offense. 
play offense, not defense. Pre-commit. So I would look at my schedule and say, what time am I hitting tomorrow? I'm going to hit at 2 o'clock tomorrow. I'm going to be there. I'm going to you know, hit at this, this time because I would try to find time where I knew nobody was there. So I would go, bam, on purpose repetition. I mean, off play offense, not defense, pre-commit, right? And then, and then the L was like the, the, the law of the lineup sequencing, you know, real, how, how my work, work looked. Would I go T, then flips, then, then hitting? How many times would I do T work a week? When would I do live arm? And then, and then the L is, I mean, and then the S is speeds of force. Get on it. Get on it. Speeds of force. You, you got, want to get some work in? Do it now. So for me, man, hard work is, is uh, you know, you, you got to be honest with yourself. You got to be truthful with yourself. Is your work really hard? Do you have the tools that you need every day to do it? Are you committed? Are you consistent? And are you disciplined? Sean, I want to ask you this question. I know you spent some time coaching as well, and you've got kids as well. I'm curious. What are your thoughts on, you know, we know what it takes. You know what it takes to be one of the greatest hitters of all time. You know what the hard work is. You have it defined right here. But some kids, my thought is that as I was kind of struggling through this here, my, my thought is that you can't teach the will. If you don't want this stuff, if you don't want to stay after, if you don't want to do some of these things, it's hard for me as a coach, for you as a coach, I'm going to anticipate to really make you do those things. As, as a, I can bring you to the water, but I can't make you drink the water. As a coach, talk to me a little bit about that or the parents out there that, look, we want all these things for our kids, for our athletes, but if they don't want it, it's hard to force it, right? What are your thoughts on there? Yeah. Smiling? You know what? I, I have, uh, there's some kids that I work with in high school and stuff. And I remember working with a kid one time and, uh, He's like, hey, could you hit with me? And I was like, yeah. I'll, 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 I'm, I'm, it was like, to tell you the truth, this was a lesson for me from coaching too. Obviously, I just got done coaching the Yankees, and that was a different, you know, that was a different level of coaching. But a few years ago, I learned, I learned a really good lesson with this one kid. He was like, hey, can you help me out? It was a, it was a friend of mine's um, son. I said, yeah, let's go hit, man. Left-handed hitter, we got in there. So we took some swings. Boom, we worked on some things, and I was like, you got to get a better, better load on your hands. You know, there's got to be more rhythm in your swing, rhythm and timing. So he hits, comes back the next week, and I'm saying the same things, man. Like, hey, you got to get more rhythm and timing. So after the third time, I said, hey, just really quick, are you hitting on your own? Because if you're not, you're wasting my, I got four kids. You're wasting my time. You're wasting your dad's money. And you're wasting your time. So I said, if you want it bad enough, listen, do this for me. Go, I want you to hit, hit 2,000 swings on your own with what we've been talking about. As soon as you're done with that, give me a call, and we'll get back after it. Now, if I had a big leaguer that was a 12-year big leaguer, a three-time all-star, a career 300 hitter that asked me to take 2,000 swings, I'd be bleeding, bleeding totally. that night. This kid calls me six weeks later. Hey, I got the 2,000 swings in. And I said, hey, man, just want to let you know. We're not going to work together anymore because I can't want it for you more than you want it for yourself. Amen. And obviously your actions are speaking louder than words. You're showing me that by your, your inaction is showing me everything about who you are. So at the end of the day, all these, uh, and I get a friend of mine who's a coach here too, sends me um, pictures of, or videos of, of his team that the kids are hitting. And I'm thinking to myself, the kid's rotating so far right on a swing. And I, and I see that so much with kids. And I'm like, is this kid going to willing to put in the thousands and thousands of swings that it takes 
to really groove neural pathways, to groove, my, groove myelin in your brain, to groove the body work, to groove the feelings that you need. I can't tell you how many, I'd get to the two, three, four thousand swing off the tee and go, oh my God, there it is. There it is. Oh, there's that, oh, there's that swing. There's that groove. Then I could groove it. But if you don't get to the two, three, four thousandth swing of consistent work every day, guess what? It ain't happening. So parents, like, you can't want it more for your kids than your kids want it for themselves. I used to tell my kids, hey, listen, I will never, ever say no to you if you want to go to the cages, ever. If you want to go to the weight or whatever. But I was like, I will not ask you to hit. I will not want it more, want it more for you uh, than you want it for yourself. And that was always the thing. And, you know, and, and, and uh, my, both my sons played division one baseball. My other son's still playing and he still asked me, dad, you want to go hit? And I'm like, let's go. Man, that's so cool. I want to, I want to dive in a little bit more about the coaching. So you were with the New York Yankees for some time, obviously in the league for 12, 13 years. Talk to me a little bit about what's something that you learned as a player, Sean, that, you know, parlayed over into coaching. Like what, what's a technique that because you were a player, you understood these guys a little bit more. I'm just curious on the coaching side of things. I don't think people ask you enough about the coaching side. What's something that has been uh, an important practice when it comes to coaching with the Yankees or coaching anybody else? Yeah. Um, well, first off, you got to listen. You know, and, and, and there's no cookie cutters here. Like I must admit, like the guy, the players that would come down to hit for the Yankees, they all had different routines. They all had different feels, but they got those feels and those routines from the work they did by themselves. So like there was no cookie cutter. There's no cookie cutter in the, in the industry of baseball, but you also have to put in the work to get the feels. These guys are the best players in the world. They know themselves. Like Aaron Judge's routine was different than DJ that may use different than Giancarlo Stanton's was different than Anthony Volpe's, was different than Isaiah Kainafaleva. They were all different, right? And, I, and so as a, as a coach, you better have done your work and done your homework to know what you're talking about because you can't just cookie cutters, guys, at that level, right? You can't do it. The other thing I would say was as a player, I learned that my routines are so important. And like I talked about their routines as a coach, Players' routines are so important. As a coach's routines are important too. You know, do you have a routine that you do every single day? Do you have a process that you do every single day? And I'm talking about off the field and on the field. But for me, when I got in the box, you know, one thing I realized too is that you, like I was saying before, you get to the mind through the body, right? And so when the when you're in that sympathetic fight or flight um, state. You have to be able to change it to this to the parasympathetic, right? That like fight, you got to go from fight, fight, or freeze, fall to rest, digest, relax, or whatever. Well, I have to do that. It doesn't just happen. Because when you're out there in front of 45,000 people, your body doesn't know what's going on. It just knows there's 45,000 people. This is a hostile environment, and my brain's here to keep me safe. How can I tell my brain we're safe? And so, you know. I look back, I'll tell you a real, a real quick story. I look back at the World Series in 2006. Um, I came up against Adam Wainwright in the, in the uh, there was two outs to go in the ninth, game five. They're two out, we're down 3-1 or 4-2, I believe. There's two outs to go in the ninth, and I come up as the second hitter. And I remember, this is my ninth year in the big league, so I have some, I have some information. You can't teach experience. I have a lot of experience. To kind of lean on thousands of at bats, four thousand at bats at the time, probably in the big leagues, forty five hundred. So I, I remember Adam Wainwright gets me with a first pitch fastball, next pitch changeup. I believe I'm down 0-2. two. 
And I remember stepping out, DJ, and we were in St. Louis. And like I said, they're two outs away from, the, from the winning the World Series. I step out, and, and, and the crowd comes to their feet because two strikes on me now, 0-2. It's as deafening as I've ever heard a sound. Like, it almost sounded like a freight train in my ears. And I remember stepping out going, wow, that is so loud. And as I sat there and said that it was so loud, I almost heard that other voice in my mind. I was like, wow, you can't help me. It's so loud out here is irrelevant because I've been here before. I have to, now I'm in the sympathetic nervous system. My mind is like, blown by this sound so i was like okay let's get back to the breath so i took a deep breath longer exhale get get you know get get into that you know get my heart rate down and i did it twice then i got back in the box and i said everything's irrelevant you know what the process to do deep breath hunt the fastball look middle way react in so i did that got back in the box and it was incredible because i literally changed my state to where i just saw adam wainwright and I was just thinking about the baseball, right? But I mean, I mean, 20 seconds earlier, my brain was going, wow, was that loud? But I was able to have a process that worked for me over the years to, to be where I was to change it instantly. So I got back in the box, whatever. The, the, the bat went to 3-2, and I hit a rocket off the wall for a double, got to second base. And the, the reason I remember that at bat is not because of the double off the wall, but because of that O2 feeling I had when the absolute place was coming down when the storm was here it was loud it was dark it was scary but i was able to through experience slow myself down get to my mind through my body through the breath lock in and the world series game five everything all the marbles in the city of st louis and was able to come up with that hit so the one thing i learned is that that process is so important do you have a process? Do you know what your process is? Do you know yourself? Or are you kind of unconsciously doing everything? What I'm hearing right there, Sean, is the difference between talk to yourself versus listen to yourself. So you listening to yourself is you literally listening to the crowd like a freight train. It's in your head. But then you switched and you started to talk to yourself. And yes. when you started to talk to yourself, that's when things started to switch. Talk to me a little bit more about what it means to talk to yourself. What are some of the things you said, Sean? Talk to me a little bit about that side, because I think what, what's happening right now is that athletes are listening to themselves or they're listening to the haters. They're listening to the outside noise where they're not talking to themselves. And that's where the breakthrough comes in. I think the biggest thing is we're, we're, we're human beings, right? We're, we're, we're meaning making machines, man. We're, we're storytellers. Think about any other species out there. You got your, all your animals, your birds, your, 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 your dolphins, your, your bears and stuff. They communicate, but they don't communicate like we do through stories. Well, we tell ourselves a lot of stories too, right? Like that's why baseball is just such a microcosm of life. Like life's not easy at times, DJ. And I don't think it was supposed to be. And baseball is really not easy at times. And it's not supposed to be. I always say, if you don't want to play baseball and you can't handle the failure, go play something else. Go play lacrosse or something else. You know, some, another sport, but maybe it's more athletic because you want to talk about, you know, um, the mental grind. I mean, I think, you know, I think that's the biggest thing is that you have to be able to, you know, really, really lock in and realize that the stories in my mind are neutral until I give it a belief. Right. If I think, oh man, I, you know, I haven't played in two days. And the reason I haven't played is because the coach doesn't like me. 
and the front office doesn't like me and these fans are talking trash on me on social media and I want to be traded. Get me out of here, you know, right now. Well, the neutral event is I haven't played in two days. The belief, the story that I'm creating is one that doesn't serve me. Now, on the flip side, I can, I can do the exact opposite of self-talk. I can create a total story that serves me. Hey, listen, I haven't played in the last couple of days. If I'm being honest with myself, I'm really not swinging the bat well. Coach is trying to get someone else that are going. I'm going to use these next, these next two days to work on my craft, get back in the cages, maybe watch some video, figure out some things I need to do. I'm okay. I believe in myself. I'm one of the best players in the world. I put the work in. I put the time in. Man, I'm, this two days is perfect for me to, you know, to, to reset. And when I get back in the lineup, I'm going to dominate. So do you see right there, like I always call it the controller. If you have your controller over there for the TV and there's no batteries in it, it doesn't work. Mm. But as soon as you put a battery in it, now I can turn it on, go to different apps, switch the channels. I can go to do so many different things, right? That's the belief system in your stories. The belief system is the battery. So as soon as I put a battery, that belief system into a story, it now has power. It now has control. It now can do so much. So careful, careful what stories you're telling yourself. And you actually have the power to put the belief in one that serves you or one that doesn't. And in the game of baseball, believe me, Deej, there are so many stories that don't serve you in that, in that industry. And that's why a ton of guys, uh, you know, struggle in that industry. Ooh. Man, that's good stuff. You know, Sean, I travel the Midwest talking to high school uh, student athletes. And one of the things that I do every single session is I pull up your clip from MLB Network. And we talk about the three keys to keep it simple. So a lot of kids have seen that clip. Right. Can you walk through where did that come from? Why yeah. three keys? And what are the what are the best ways to set that up for kids? And because I, I don't think it's just baseball, Sean. I want to talk to all, all athletes right here. Talk yeah. to me a little bit about what that means. Three keys to keep it simple. Yeah. Well, Harvey Dorfman, who I feel like who was up. I don't know if you can see him right right here. Yep. Kaner gave me that. Kaner gave me that a little bit ago. But Harvey Dorfman, I read his book, The Mental Game of Baseball, when I was 16 years old, and it just—it's it, it, the reason I played in the big leagues because I started to learn how to think, and I started to learn what process over results meant. I started to learn, you know, what what expectations look like, how relaxation look like, you know, all that, what discipline look like, what mental discipline look like, what mental toughness look like, right? In this book, and it was incredible. And as I as I, as I got to know Harvey more. Um, and, and I contacted him, uh, uh, when I got to the, after I'd been, played a few years in the big leagues, you know, he was like, Hey, listen, the brain can only handle so much and you got to keep it simple, but you got to direct it too. You have to give brain, your brain direction. You have to generate thought. You can't just, you know, go throughout life and think, Oh yeah, I'll just do whatever. Well, that doesn't work in this industry, right? It just, it's a pressure cooker. And so he's like, he was big on process over results, focus on the task at hand, see the ball, be easy, hammer it, right? See the ball. That was kind of something, I, the hammer it part, I, I figured out, but see the ball, be easy, hammer it. So he's like, write down three keys in your, on a note card, put it in your pocket, and when you get on deck, look at it. So that's what I did. It was my routine, and, and it was see the ball, be easy, hammer it. As a matter of fact, Found it. Oh, no way. I found this. I found this card in, uh, in, in the is. mental game of baseball recently. And I had put a couple other things on it. You know, this one was right around World Series time, but it says, see the ball, be easy, be aggressive. And then I, I put some other things. He wasn't big on mechanics. Like he said, if you have a mechanical cue, 
think about it on deck and it could be on your card but you just can't get in the box just it's the game's happening too fast it has to be a yes 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 till my eyes tell me no situation because you blink in point four and in point four seconds a 95 mile an hour fastball is on you and you have to decide are you swinging are you not swinging is it a curveball is it a slider is it a changeup? is it a fastball is it a four seamer is it a two seamer is it a cutter right so you don't have time to, to really get mechanical so just being easy be easy um see the ball be easy hammer it with my three cues and they help me they help me to keep it simple and they help me to really channel my mind in the direction that i wanted to go and i can't tell you how many times i would just be in the box saying ball 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 you know trying to keep it simple man i love that you know talking to the athletes and having them do this this drill of the three keys what i'm finding is that the kids have a lot on their mind sean Coach is telling me a lot of cues. I got school on my mind. I got my girl. I got all these things on my mind. So when I step up to the free throw line, I need to keep things simple. So it's not just baseball, Sean. All these kids are like, hey, you know, one or two things. Just give me one or two things because I got so much on my mind. So for them, it's just can I simplify what's going on in my mind a little bit more? Right, dude. I mean, it, 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 listen, our minds, are, remember, we're meaning-making machines. Our minds are always ruminating. We're always looking at things. We're always making stories. We're master storytellers. And if you can't get your mind, I always say your mind is like that, it, it, you know, like a black stallion horse, a wild horse. You know, if you are on the beach and you see that horse and you jump on it, that thing will run with you. And it'll run up a mountain and jump you off the mountain. It'll run into the ocean and drown you. But if you walked up to that black stallion and you could saddle it and put the bits in the horse's, horse's mouth, that stallion will take off running. But if you now have intention with it with the bits in its mouth you can pull it back and slow it down whoa big boy you it, when it wants to run in the ocean you can pull it back and say hey we're not going right we're going left you know and we're not going up that mountain we're going down the beach and we're going to go see some things over here and so now you're guiding that mind intentionally i really believe that's how our minds work if we let our minds get away from us and ruminate and we can't get a control of our stories and we can't get back to simplicity that thing will take off and it'll be one of our biggest enemies. When I'm, when I'm working with team, Sean, one of the, the probably the most common theme that I'm hearing when I'm asking, what are you guys struggling with? Whether it's through a survey or just through informal questions. Again, keep in mind, my audience is mostly high school student athletes. The number one theme that kids are struggling with is confidence. I don't feel confident whether it's in school. I don't feel confident on the floor. It's number one every single time. I'm curious as a mental performance coach and a major league baseball player, when you hear I'm struggling with confidence, you got a smile on your face. Where does your mind go, Sean? You're not accountable to yourself. You haven't put the work in. The reason your confidence or anxious is because you haven't done the work. That's the only reason. And the biggest thing with confidence, it's inner trust. I go, I went into the cages every day because I wanted to trust myself when I stood alone in the box. I call I call the the cage the confidence cage. I'm working on confidence. I gotta trust myself that I've put in the work, that I have taken the swings, that I've worked on my mind, that I've lifted the weights. Right? I gotta I have to have inner confidence in myself. And where does that trust come from? It comes from discipline. Am, am I do I do do I do what I say I'm gonna do? No one needs to know, DJ. You don't need to know. My mom and dad don't need to know. My friends don't need to know. Only I need to know because I struggle with confidence because I haven't put the work in. That's the only reason. 
So when kids say, or I say, listen, I've been there. I speak from experience. This isn't like, oh, when kids say, and I'm telling, no, dude, I was the kid that wasn't that fast. I was the kid that didn't hit with a ton of power at times. I was a kid that didn't play great defense. I was the kid that you said, this kid's 100% not making it. Like Division One baseball, no chance. This guy can't even get a Division Three offer. This guy, but guess what? I learned to trust myself. I learned to put the work in. I learned to have discipline. And, and I think emotional stamina is a big thing too with, with confidence. On the days that you don't want to do your protocol, or do you even have a protocol first? But if you found a protocol on the days you don't want to do it, are the days you double down on it. You hear that voice and you go, oh, you don't feel like going to work out today? We're 100% working out today. I cold plunge every day, right? I, I hate it every single day, but I do it. I can't tell you about the conversations that go on in my head. We're not getting in there today. 47 degrees, no chance. Thank you very much. I heard you. I'm 100% getting in. No doubt we're not going to negotiate. I'm getting in the cold plunge. So for me, confidence is all about accountability to yourself. Do you trust yourself? Have you put the work in? And if you have, I can guarantee your confidence is going to go up. That's the biggest thing. I love it. Michael Phelps has a great book out and he talks about his three, his three keys on what makes uh, somebody mentally tough, Sean. First one is read every day. Second yeah, one readers is, are leaders. That's right. Second one is do what needs to be done regardless of how you feel, which is what you just said. Yes. I'll say that again. Do what needs to be done regardless of how you feel. In my book, we say don't wait for the feel to be ideal because if you wait for it to be ideal, it ain't ever going to happen, brother. Exactly. And then the third one, the third one that Michael Phelps says is when you get off course, get back on. How simple are these three keys? I mean, we're talking about three keys to keep it simple, Sean. It's not hard stuff. It's simple, <laughs> not easy, but simple. It's not easy. Yeah. It's, it's, and, and, and one other thing too, is that like, I think DJ, at the end of the day, we all know what needs to be done. Don't we, don't you know that you should probably should eat whole foods. Don't you know that you should probably sleep seven to nine hours. Don't you know you should probably exercise every day and get moving. Don't you know that you should probably sit down five to 10 minutes, maybe meditate a little bit or do a, do some breathing exercises. Don't you know you should be kind to people? Don't you know that you should read a little bit? Don't you know you should grow your brain? Guess what? Don't you know you should lift weights if you're an athlete? Don't you know you should do work on your own? You get better on your own. At the end, you talk about confidence, you get better on your own. You know, you know, Michael Phelps was getting better at 4 in the morning, 4.30 in the morning, on his own, doing stuff that nobody wanted to do, right? That's why you win 20 medals or whatever you won. You know, like, you get better on your own. And the, the bottom line is, I really believe there's a, a lot of us know what to do. We just don't want to do it. Yep. And we don't want to do it because it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to go do uh, to the weight room when you don't feel like lifting. It's hard to go um, eat whole foods when you want to eat, uh, you know, when you want to eat that gallon of ice cream, you know, because that, that, you got the sugar thing going in your brain. It's hard to do the right thing. But if you want confidence and you want uh, inner peace and you want inner structure, it's not that hard. And I always say too, easy has a cost. You can take the easy road. That's fine. But on the other side of that is a cost. It's low confidence, low self-esteem, some anxiety and stress from not doing the work. You know, you want to play Fortnite for six hours. You want to be on your phone for seven hours. That's all cool. I always call it the dream killer right here. I mean, and I, 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 I would have been scared if I had these when I was trying to hit every day after school. I'm not kidding you. Like, and because, you know, we're all addicted to that thing. 
And how many hours are we on there? We don't, we don't have 20 minutes to go hit, but we have six hours to be on TikTok and Snapchat and Fortnite and all this stuff. So it's priorities. It's priorities. You know, you got to put priorities over pleasure at some point. Hmm. Bottom line, you got to put priorities over pleasure. We don't want to. Easy has a cost, man. I love that. I have two more questions here before we close it down. I heard this yeah. quote on one of the many podcasts I listened to of yours, and I, and I, I love for you to break this down. You said, whoever fails best wins. One more time. Whoever fails yeah. best wins. I love it. Can you break that down? I got to have a better relationship with failure. I got to, it's the mentality of win or learn. You know, when, when I go, I remember facing Randy Johnson for the first time and Greg Maddox. I had just gotten to the big leagues. Randy Johnson is every bit intimidating and monstrous as you think. And I'm a left-handed hitter. And I got up there. I were playing against, I think he was with the Diamondbacks at the time. And, and I was thinking to myself too. Now talk about stories. Uh, a story I had when I first got in the box was, oh my God, that's Randy Johnson. I got his baseball card. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. He throws 100 miles an hour with a 92-mile slider. All true. Right. But it turned into an, in my mind, it turned into a nightmare. Right. Wow. Oh, this guy overwhelmed. Oh, for four, two punch outs before I knew it. Wow. That didn't work out too well. Then I go face Greg Maddox. Right. Greg Maddox just sliced and diced me one time, threw me a two seamer, uh, you know, two seam fastball, which as a lefty comes at your hip and went right in two strikes. It was, it was a pitch I'd never seen before. It was so nasty, so late. Oh, for four, two punch outs. And I remember thinking to myself, wow. Like, I got to use failure as feedback. Like, because what did I just learn from that? Because if I keep doing what I'm doing and thinking the way I'm thinking, I'm going to be out of here. They're going to get someone else that could come in and look at Randy Johnson, Greg Mack, and say, I'm not scared. For me, when I first got the biggest, there was a little fear there when I faced the big guys, right? So what I started to do was the information I got from that failure. Failure is information. Win or learn. What did I learn by facing these guys because that didn't work. <laughs> and that was a ton of failure. But all it was, it wasn't, it wasn't failure. Failure was feedback. Failure was information. So what I started to say to myself was, enough. Enough of the stories that these guys are that much better than you. You have faced pitching machines your whole life. As soon as the guy releases the ball, Randy Johnson or, or Kurt Schilling or John Smoltz, it's now a pitching machine. The ball's out of the guy's hands. Randy Johnson's not running the ball up the home plate and throwing it. He's releasing it at 60 feet, six inches. Well, maybe he's releasing it like 48 feet after he's done it, you know? But he's releasing it, and now it's my job as a hitter to slow myself down, to hunt the fastball, push him up, push him out, look for something I can get my arms extended on, and treat that as a baseball. Put my eyes on it and hit it where it, where it wants to go. And what I found is I ended up hitting 360 off Maddox for a career, 333 off Randy Johnson after that first game. And I only say that because... That worked. I took the failure that was, that was information and feedback for me, and I did something about it, and I, and I learned a lesson that I got to do it differently the next time. What adjustments can I make? So whoever fails the best wins. I really believe that. Your relationship to failure has to be different. The story you tell yourself to failure has to be different than everyone else of, I'm scared. I don't want to be embarrassed. I'm so nervous out here. Hey, no. Failure is a good thing. You need failure. In the big leagues, I, you know, I was a career 300 hitter. That means I failed 70% of the time. I was only, I only was successful 30% of the time. You know how much failure taught me? It just taught me, oh, man, that didn't work. What can we do next time? That didn't work. What can we do next time? So that when you get to the World Series, you have experiences of all this failure, and you say, man, I got, I got a chance right here. I, 
for the best chance for success, I'm going to use this little bit of knowledge, this little bit of knowledge, this little bit of knowledge to get me where I'm at. So if you change your relationship to failure, it, all it is is information and feedback. It's there to help you, not hurt you. That's right. This didn't work. What can I do better next time? That is yeah. the essence of the curious mindset that I teach. Yeah. I love that. Your relationship with failure. Can you ask yourself better questions? Sean, I love it. You know, so I, one of the things I love about being a mental performance coach is that the skills, yes, they're great in sports, but the best part is they're great for the rest of your life. And I'm curious, Sean, you, you've, you've dealt with some stuff with your dad, significant other. You've had some sickness in your family. I want to know how has the mental game uh, helped you with your life out of baseball? And what are some of the mental strategies you're using when stuff comes your way that's out of your control? I mean, sickness and things like talk to me about some of that stuff, because I think some people listening, they're probably going, yeah, Sean, great. You're you're a heck of a hitter. You know, you're one of the best to ever live. Awesome. Good for you. That's not me. You don't know my story. I'm dealing with this, this and this. I've never touched a baseball. It's not about baseball. Talk yeah. to me about the people out there that are dealing with some shit. When it comes to stuff that's outside of their control, sickness, debt, health, whatever it's going to be, what are the, what are the conversations like? What are the techniques and strategies that work outside of the diamond really well? Yeah. Well, you know, that's it, true. Uh, last year, my, my, uh, last year, my dad had two open heart surgeries. Didn't think he was coming out of the hospital, you know, 180 days in the hospital. You know, he, thank God he made it out right after he makes it out of the second surgery. You know, my, my wife gets diagnosed with breast cancer. You know, and, and so I think one thing I've realized is no one's exonerated from, from, I call them the clouds. No one's exonerated from the clouds of life. The constant work, loss, obstacles, uncertainty, desire. Desire meaning you want things to be a, a certain way and they're not. So you get, you suffer. And the stress of life. So the clouds of life, I feel like, are coming for all of us. And they, they come and they come at all times, you know, they come sometimes small and sometimes they're big and dark and scary. Right. And, you know, I think the biggest thing is, you know, you, 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 you have to realize that, you know, I got to keep going, you know, I got to keep, I got to, I'm not exonerated from, from what life has to throw at me, but I'm, but I'm also going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get tough on it. Like I'm, and I guess the last story I'll tell, and I'm sure you've told this story, but it, 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 it's all over my house for a reason, because I, I believe this epitomized, you know, the last couple of years of my life and I'm, I'm very grateful for it, but I, I, you know, I even said it to the Yankees, that first series I was doing in Colorado on the planes out there in Colorado. And I know, you know, the story of the buffaloes and the cattle share the same plane, but I think this is such a great um, metaphor for life that when those storms come in, in those planes on those mountains out there in Colorado and they come in dark and they come in heavy and they come in with lightning and thunder, you know, sometimes that's life right? And I love what the Buffalo do, how they look at each other. They look at each other with courage and they, they see the storm. They know that it's there, but they come together with courage and resiliency and tenacity. And they say, you know what, guys, we're going to feel that pain. We're going to feel that struggle. But on the other side of that storm is sunshine, is joy, is compassion, is empathy, is love, right? And, and, and those, those Buffalo herd up in courage and they take off running and they go full steam right at that thing and they get hit and it hurts and, 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 and it's not easy, but they get through it. Right. And, and I think one thing about that is when you realize that you're tougher than you think that you can get through it, you know, and, and you, and you put your mind in that position to say, there's no other choice here, but to show up for my dad every day at the hospital. There's no other choice than to go to the chemo treatments with, with my wife 
and to help her. You know, there's, there's no other choice at times. And you just lean on each other and courage. Although you're scared and everybody's scared, you just keep running. What a great place to end it. Sean Casey, ladies and gentlemen. Sean, where can I point my listeners if they want to follow you and, and learn more from you? Uh, that's, yeah. The floor is yours. Thanks, Deej. Appreciate it. Uh, you know what? I, I, have a, I have a mental performance coaching program that I just really love, and I, I believe it's very, very impactful. Um, it's called Breakthrough Pro. So you can go to breakthrough-pro.com, and uh, you know you can find me there. Uh, I have a podcast I do. I'm, I'm, I, listen, I appreciate what you do, man, and that you're at 350 you know, uh, episodes or whatever, we're, we're sitting there too. And I know it takes a lot of work. So I'm, I'm, I, we have a podcast we do every day. It's called the mayor's office. And, you know, we can find us wherever you find your podcast. Also on YouTube, if you YouTube Sean Casey, uh, the mayor's office, and, uh, you can find me on Instagram at the mayor's office, MLB and on Twitter I, or X X, I believe at, at the mayor's office. So, uh, those are the places you can find me, man. Sean, thanks for your time, man. Your energy is uh, contagious and it was just a joy to, to finally meet today. Thank you. Yeah, DJ, thanks a lot, man. And uh, you come highly recommended and as advertised, brother. Keep doing your thing and good luck to you, man. Thank you.